0: be in the house of the Lord. This is our Sunday school day. We have people all over the property that are teaching, and you are here kind of as the adult class in our Sunday school, and tonight we have a great evangelistic service planned. So be here tonight, time for prayer, touch the throne of grace for needs in your home, your family, the church, and those that are preaching truth around the world. Tonight, today, for just a little while, let's turn to the book of Jeremiah for our lesson. Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 31. Follow along as I read. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to To the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts. And will be their God, and they shall be my people, and they shall teach no more every man his neighbour, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Israel and Judah had a great thing to look forward to but they continued to live in the past. They could never look forward to the coming of Jesus, which was prophesied, and they did not look forward to the new covenant that this scripture prophesies. I want to preach to you today about the last will and testament. The last will and testament. Savior, we thank you for your word of truth today. We ask you to help us as we endeavor to break the bread of life and bring to your children what is needed today. We ask these things in the wonderful name of the Lord, and everybody said amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Read to you today a very interesting passage of Scripture. It's also repeated in the book of Hebrews, almost word for word. Therefore, you follow doctrinal truths by seeing an Old Testament type, being fulfilled in the New Testament. The Old Testament is, of course, fulfilled. Jesus said, I did not do away with the law, but I fulfilled the law. And so the law, basically, the Ten Commandments are still with us, only in an expanded form. But he did away with all the ordinances and all the things that brought condemnation and guilt to the children of Israel. But Jeremiah promised, as other prophets promised, prophesied that there would be something better coming. Jeremiah promised of a new covenant. Something new would be a will or a testament or a covenant. And he promised that that he would bring that to the children of Israel, but they could not vision it, and they could not grasp it. Then he went into kind of rebuking them and they said, "I'm not going to give you a new covenant." Like the old covenant, which you broke, you could not keep and you would not fulfill. Even though I was a husbandman to you, I was there, I was for you, I was a provider. But then he went on to say that this new covenant that I will make after those days, I will put my law in their hearts and I'll write it in their hearts. And I'll be a God to them. And they shall be my people. That's a tremendous and powerful promise. But he went on to say, And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall know me from the least even to the greatest of them, saith the Lord. And then this great promise was dropped at the close of those remarks and said, I will forgive their iniquity. This was part of that new covenant. I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. What a powerful promise. Now, the Old Covenant or the Old Will, the Old Testament, when you follow it through, it was very fluid. It was liquid. It flowed wherever it was needed or whatever was desired, even of the people. For even Moses made a remark, and Jesus reiterated it, that Moses, for the hardness of your heart, made provisions for the people. So the old law was fluid in some ways. Uh, even even in the fact of the tabernacle and sacrifices of the old law, which was by blood sacrifices, even David seeing how fluid it was and looked forward. We have it written in the book of Acts that David was restoring the temple or the, the tabernacle of David. And the scripture refers to his praise and his worship. But one day when he had failed miserably, he ran to the tabernacle and he said, let the lifting of my hand be the evening sacrifice. Well, the evening sacrifice was for anybody and everybody that came and brought their animal for the sacrifice. And if you had sinned or failed God in some way, whether it's slight or major, there was provisions under the Old Testament or the old will that your sins could be pushed forward. And every year they would accumulate the sins of the people, the sacrifices that had been made throughout the year, and they would have one major sacrifice for the entire people of Israel and those that sojourned with them. That was the Old Testament, that was the old will that if you sinned, you had to bring forth a blood sacrifice. It was not instituted into the law until Moses, but when you look back to the children of Adam and Eve, when they saw that there was a sacrifice when Adam and Eve was driven out of the garden and the Lord slew an animal and clothed them with the garments of the animal, the skins of the animal, those boys saw what was going on and they took notice of it. But as they grew older and it came time for their time of sacrifice, we read the story well that uh, Cain and Abel brought forth their sacrifice. And of course, Abel brought forth of firstlings of the flock and Cain brought forth the vegetables, the fruits of his field The interesting thing about those two sacrifices and God chose one over the other was Abel brought forth a blood sacrifice that followed the path and pattern of God killing an animal and clothing the mom and dad with the skins of that animal and this bloodshed that was there. And Abel picked that up and understood the depth of it and was able to bring a blood sacrifice. But Cain didn't sacrifice the same way because he brought things that could be reproduced. He brought the fruit of the field. He brought forth that which had seed in itself that could be planted and restored. But once you killed the animal, it was gone, it was over with, the blood was shed, and your sins was covered. And God had respect unto Abel's sacrifice that made Cain angry, and in the field they discussed it, and somehow... The argument became heated, and the dispute became severe, and Cain picked up a bludgeoning weapon and slew his brother. And from that, the Lord spoke to Cain and asked him where his brother was. And Cain said, Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, His blood. Almost everything you talk about in the Old Testament or the Old Will was brought about by blood. He said his blood is crying out from the ground even today. And so the promise of a new covenant was to do away with the old bloodshed. Now, if you ever had a chance to go to Israel or been close to the Temple Mount where some of the old sacrifices were done, they say there are canals that were the major days. In fact, one day, There was over 50,000 animals uh, killed of the larger species and several thousands of smaller species killed in one day for the sacrifices of Israel. So underneath the tabernacle, there had to be canals where they would wash the blood out and it would flow out and into the river and downstream. And they're still there in some of those caverns underneath the Temple Mount even today as we speak. And they have been trying to uncover some of them And the United Nations had to step in and stop them because they were towering underneath the Mosque of Omar, which was the second most holy site of the Muslim followers. And uh, so they stopped them because it could have collapsed that whole temple, which probably would bring in a third world war. So they stopped them from that. But the thing that's interesting is there was so much bloodshed under the First or the Old Testament that... uh, they had to have canals to wash the blood out. Thousands and thousands of gallons of blood. Some hundreds of thousands of gallons of blood was shed and had to be washed out on these particular days. And it was, a, it was an ugly scene. It was a, it was a scene of, of traumatic times for the animals. And being a meat cutter in my original secular trade, I went to the slaughterhouse to watch the operation there and the uh, animals going up the chute towards the slaughterhouse sensed that they were being slaughtered and they tried to climb over the fence. They, they would scream and holler in their own moo way and uh, try to get off of the out of the fence. They could sense the blood and smell the blood. And I'm just wondering in the old days under the, the Old Testament and the first will that Those animals, thousands of them being slain if there was not times of stampede and and trying to get away from that sacrifice because they sensed and smelt the blood just like today's world. So I'm presenting to you today an ugly picture of the Old Testament sacrifices, the ugly picture of the First Testament that uh, was given and finally was culminated in a ritualistic law that was covering three major areas, the ceremonial law, the civil law, and of course the religious law. And these things all combined together put a heavy burden on people. It was a depressive burden, and yet uh, yet they lived by that, and the Lord said, you have broken that Old Testament law or the First Testament law. But he said, I'm going to put something new into place. And I want you to look forward to it, that there's going to be a time when I will put my law in your hearts and I will write it on your hearts. And the powerful thing that he said in this this giving of the prophecy, and it's repeated also in the book of Hebrews, almost word for word, he said, I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. The Lord was looking forward to the time where there would be a new will or a New Testament, or what I would call today the last will and testament of of the Lord. And so the New Testament brought about a whole new plan and a whole new idea of salvation and the washing away of sins. And there's there's so much to say on that. But I want to move forward just a little bit, and Lord willing, we may be able to come back to that. But uh, remember that the book of Hebrews almost repeats the same thing But he adds one word in there that I like very well in the 12th chapter of the 9th chapter of the book of Hebrews. He said, for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. In other words, the mercy of God is going to be interjected into this new will and New Testament The word testament is not used as often today, except in the legal realm. If you have a will, many times it'll say the last will and testament. The testament is a will or a covenant. So remember those words as we move through here, because this biblical lesson is a very important lesson of our our life and living for God. And then in Hebrews, he went on to say the new covenant, he made the first old. When he gave the commandment for a new will or a New Testament, he made the old one old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. And so thank God, and we can thank God today that uh, we didn't have to bring a sheep or a bullock or a turtle dove uh, to the house today and slay that animal before we could even enter the tabernacle. Uh, But you could pray and ask God to forgive you. Because he said, I will not remember your unrighteousness and I will have mercy on your unrighteousness. So every time you enter the house of God, you need to enter the house of God with a mindful attitude that I am coming today. Not just to be seen and heard. I'm coming for a sacrifice of my sin and my life before God because I'm coming to worship him. And that's how you get to God. David gave us an insight to that. In the middle of breaking the Old Testament law, he came into the tabernacle in a hurry one day. He didn't bring an animal. He wasn't going to shed blood. But he said, let the lifting of my hand be the evening sacrifice. If you're ever ashamed to lift your hands to worship God, you're not willing to sacrifice for your past deeds. But you can be clean today through the plan of salvation and the new plan, the New Testament. This new covenant or new testament or new will. It's kind of like the man that I told you before about that got his new hearing aids and went back to the doctor after three or four weeks and the doctor said, how's your new hearing aids? He said, oh, my hearing aids are nice. He said, how's your family like him?" He said, they don't know about them. He said, I've changed my will three times. Will... While a person is living, has the ability to change anytime he wants. So the man changed his will three times. So I say today, where there's a will, I want to be in it. I knew you. I knew where you was going. There's a will. I want to be in it. How about you? You know anybody that's got a will? Don't you want to be in it? Well, we are in the new will of God. But the old will decayed and vanished away. But Christ became a high priest of good things to come. Hebrews said, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is to say not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place having obtained eternal redemption for This is Hebrews 9, and now verse 13. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctify to the purifying of the flesh, listen to this. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit, that's a catchphrase there. Who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience. From dead works to serve the living God. And for this cause he's the mediator of the New Testament or the new will. That by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament. They which were called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. See the Old Testament it was a yearly thing. If you didn't commit sins that was worthy of some form of sacrifice during the year. You still had to come yearly to the annual sacrifice of which there was thousands of blood sh- animals' bloodshed. And there was a massive sacrifice. And there was there. So that you, no matter whether you came before every month or every quarter or every six months. But once a year there was a massive, massive sacrifice. And so this scripture is letting us know that the blood of bulls and goats cannot help you. But how much more shall the blood of Jesus Christ be able to purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this cause, he became the mediator of the New Testament that by means of death for the redemption. Oh, I like that word. For the redemption. For the redemption. My, how many of you needed to be redeemed? For the redemption of the transgressions that was under the First Testament... They which are called might receive the promise of eternal, eternal salvation or eternal inheritance. And then he said, for where a testament is or where a will is, there must also be of necessity to be the death of a testator. So the one that had the will written and the one that had the ability to make the will, for that will to be in effect. There had to be a death of the testator. We know that God could not die because God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So we know that the eternal spirit, as I referenced already, that you would catch that. That eternal spirit put on a body. Hebrews said a body. Concerning Jesus Christ, a body hast thou Prepared me, so he put on a body, and he became a baby boy in the womb of Mary. And the father was not Joseph; the father was the Holy Ghost. You find that written in the Scripture, and it's refuting the fact that the father was not the father. If you believe in three persons of a Godhead, it could not be so because the third person is really the Godhead person that gave birth or or was the the uh, the beginning of life in Mary. But we know the Holy Ghost is merely the Holy Spirit of God. So we know what was transpiring there. That God overshadowed Mary and she gave birth to a baby boy. And that baby boy possessed that eternal spirit. It was from the father. It was from the father of the child that that boy received the blood and also received the eternal spirit. So... It was a fleshly body that was a son, but it was an eternal spirit that housed itself in that body. And that body was what God used as a sacrifice to redeem us. Aren't you glad you know who Jesus really is? The Bible doesn't proclaim he's the second. Creeds of religion have decided that he's second, but the Bible said he is the first and the last. So he couldn't be the second. So when you really look at Scripture, you see that the eternal spirit recognized their blood sacrifices was being broken and they was being used in different ways, and that wheel wasn't being handled right. And so he said, the only way I can do this is for myself to come. And so the Bible makes that plain in Hebrews 2.14, for as much as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, He himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had power of the death, that is the devil. So God recognized that it took a death of a human being, and yet he was not human, so he needed a body. So John 4, 24 tells us that when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, designating how he came as a son, And designating the time that the sonship began, and that was under the law. He was born under the law, therefore he lived under the law. He went to the the temple and he cleansed the temple, and he went to the temple and he preached and he gave uh, judgment on many things in the Old Testament. So he fulfilled the law. But when it came time for sacrifice, there was none other that could be found that was sinless. Though he was committed to sin, he never sinned. Though he had the ability in the human nature to sin, he never sinned. And thank God, he overcame the world and became a sinless sacrifice for our sins. So in the process of him dying, he became the death of the testator or the death to bring about a new will. Now, remember, as I've already stated, that the person that has a will can change that will anytime he is alive. I have a will, and if my kids and grandkids don't behave, I can change it. But if they behave, I could be like the other man that passed away and the lawyer got the family together. And he was reading the wheel, his last wheel and Testament. And he read it and he said I'm reading your father's last wheel in Testament. It reads like this I, your father being of a sound mind spin it all. You have the ability to do that when you're alive. You can spend it all. You can change it. You can do whatever. That was What's interesting about this new covenant, the old covenant or the old will or the old testament was done away with when Jesus died. But there's a new covenant now and a new will that is brought about upon us, and that was by the shedding of his blood. And the Bible said, moreover, he sprinkled with this verse 21. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and the vessels of the ministry. And also most all things are by the law purged with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. So when Jesus died, he brought an end to all of the Old Testament sacrifices. He brought an end to all of the bloodshed. And I just interject a little bit here. They're looking for the red heifer, which would be the 10th red hef- heifer in all of history. Red heifer in the Old Testament, great things happened at the sacrifice of a red heifer. When that red heifer was born, they moved it aside, and it could not have one hair that had a different color in it. It had to be an entire red heifer. And when you read Old Testament, you read Josephus, and you read history... There was only nine of them. The Jewish people are waiting and looking for the 10th red heifer today. And they say that if they ever find it and they found some that are close. In fact, I was with Rabbi Rickman one day when he was talking about this. In fact, I've got one of his books and he was in our home. But uh, he said, we're looking for the 10th one because when we get the 10th one, our Messiah is coming. Well, They're failing to realize their Messiah already came. And he fulfilled the Old Testament. Yet now they're wanting to sacrifice again. They're wanting to build a temple. And I'm not one that's so excited about all of that because I'm not looking for the Antichrist, which that will usher in. I'm looking for the Christ that's going to come before the tribulation of our day. I'm looking for Jesus Christ to come. So when you look at these scriptures, you see that there, for the for the Old Testament to be complete, there had to be a death of the testator, and God could not die. He's God; he cannot die. So he had to have a body, and a body was prepared for him. It was made under the law, and it was made by a woman. Bible says that John four twenty four. God is the Spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. To understand God, he's a Spirit. But he took on that body, and the purpose of that sonship was not a help. God didn't need a son. You know who needed a son? God was able to create the world. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He didn't need any help. You know who needed help? I needed help. Give me Isaiah 9 and 6. I'm the one that needed help. I'm the one that needed a sonship. For unto us, oh, I like this, unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. This son, at 12 years of age, was in the temple. And they came to find him and said, why haven't you been with us? We've been looking for you. He said, I must be about my father's business. At the age of 12, the government was upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful. Have you ever called Jesus wonderful? Have you ever called Jesus counselor? Why don't we take the comma out and just say, Jesus is a wonderful counselor. Jesus is the mighty God. Jesus is the everlasting father. Jesus is the prince of peace. We're the ones that needed a sonship. God didn't need to die. We needed the death of the testator. We needed the death of something that would close out the old will and usher in a New Testament. And Jesus Christ fulfilled that in his death at Calvary. Oh, I think we ought to just lift our hands and worship Jesus. He's our God and Savior. He's our hope of eternal life. He's the one that picked us up out of sin. God did. How did he do it? He did it by sonship. There is no, no, there is no scriptural terminology of eternal sonship. Sonship's gonna end when we all get there because we won't need that blood sacrifice anymore. We'll be in the presence of Almighty God and it's gonna be Jesus. And when you look at the book of Revelations, uh, the fourth chapter, he said, I was in the spirit in the Lord's day and the heavens were opened and I beheld one throne and one that sat on that throne. Uh, Who was that? That was Jesus Christ uh, sitting on the throne and there's only one throne and one that sat on that throne. So we're going to see him not as the son. We need him as a son today. But we're going to see him as the almighty God and the everlasting father. Well, hallelujah. So when you look at these scriptures, he said, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. That is to say, not of this building, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained Eternal redemption for us. Christ, who through the eternal spirit, offered himself without spot to God. And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament. That by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament. Christ, who through the eternal spirit. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God. So then we look at Paul's writings and he writes in 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. Went on to write, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. This is powerful. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, Be ye reconciled to God. So this new will cannot be broken by me. Or anybody else. Because this new will came into being because of the death of the testator. When when you go through the process of death and transferring assets and what have you to the next generation, then you have to come up with a new will for your children. So Jesus brought us the new will, which was prophesied that a day is coming that I will put my law in their hearts and I will write it. On their hearts. Uh, oh, if I could somehow preach to you today that if you're not interested in going to the house of God and you're not interested in reading the Word of God and you're not interested in praying to the God of heaven, you're going to miss out on this new will. Hallelujah. For where the testament is, there must also be a death of a testator. For the testament is a force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is no strength at all while the testator liveth. Whereupon the first testament is dedicated with blood, saying, This is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined to you. So the blood came from Jesus Christ for the new will, closing out the old will. He died to complete the old testament. While, he was, while Jesus was alive, it changed the will. He could alter the will. David did. I repeat, he came into the temple. He was in a hurry to get the voice of God heard. And he said, let the lifting of my hands be the evening sacrifice. Moses changed it under the fluid of the Old Testament will. And said, with hardness of your heart, I'll make some changes. But when Jesus died, that completed that Old Testament. So Jesus Could at any time while he was alive because he was God manifest in the flesh. read Timothy and you find that God was manifest in the flesh or made known in the flesh. So Jesus could do anything he wanted. So somebody says to me the other day, what about the thief on the cross? How did he get into paradise? He didn't sacrifice. Well, neither did David. What happened? Jesus was able to say before he died anything he wanted to say. And he could do anything he wanted to do. Does not the scripture tell us that he could call a legion of angels? Does the scripture not say that he could have come off of that cross? But he did it for you and he did it for me. But before he died, One of those male factors seemed to have a little bit of desire to know a little more about Jesus. And he rebuked the other male factor and said, we have every right to be here. We have every right to be crucified. But not this one. This one's innocent. And Jesus turned to him under the Old Testament, under the old law, because he was still alive. And had the ability to say, hey, if you could lift your hands, you could be saved. But he said, today, you're going to be with me. It was the old law. It was the Old Testament. But once Jesus died, that Old Testament was fulfilled. And it's no longer me or somebody else saying to you, hey, you could be saved. You could be lost. But you have to go back to the New Testament, the new will, the new law. Oh, hallelujah. I don't know about you, but this new will thrills me. He said, I'm going to put my law in your heart. I'm going to write it on the tables of your heart. I'm going to be so strong in your life that other people will recognize who you are. Why are we ashamed to be a Christian today? Why would we be ashamed in a world that has so much going on in diversity of religions and faiths and, and, and idols and idolatry and and uh, astronomy and all that goes on in our world, uh, why would we be afraid to lift our hands today and say, Jesus, I love you. You're the greatest thing in my life. I worship you. Well, hallelujah. Somebody ought to shout with me for a moment. Well, hallelujah. Jesus, Matthew 27, verse number 50. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil was rent in twain from top to bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent, the graves were opened, and many bodies of saints, the Old Testament saints which slept, arose. That veil is an interesting part of the old tabernacle in the wilderness. It was anywhere from one to five inches thick, various parts, hard to be ripped. They say it takes about a hundred men when the tabernacle was moving. It would take a hundred or more men to fold it, lift it, carry it, move it. It was a massive veil. It was more than a curtain. It was a massive veil. But when Jesus died, the power of the death of a testator rent that veil in twain. Because behind the, uh, the veil was the mercy seat. It had two cherubims; their wings almost touched, in the cabinet itself was the replica, not the replica, but the, the original rod that budded of Aaron's, some manna, and the Ten Commandments. Nobody could go in there but the high priest. He could go in once a year when they did that annual sacrifice. Josephus said that he would tie a cord around his ankle Because if he entered unworthy, he hadn't committed the sacrifices right and done what was right, his life would go for the people. And if they did, they could pull him out because nobody else could go in there. A doctor couldn't go in, nurse couldn't go in, nobody but the high priest. And so they say they put a cord on him to pull him out in case he died. We don't have any recorded history of any one of them ever dying. Because it was a very strong moment in their life. And they were sure and made sure that they had done everything exactly right. And I just want to propose to you today in this new wheel. We need to make sure that we do everything by the book. We need to do everything by the book. I told somebody I was talking to one day. And it became an interesting, very interesting discussion. I finally stopped and said, you know what? If we can't get on the same page, let's get in the same book anyway. We need to get in the book today. And we need to recognize that the new will has to be followed. If it's not followed, we may miss out on the coming of the Lord. This new will was instituted by Jesus Christ. And so priests having to manipulate that, it would take over a hundred of them to move this thing. It was massive. But when Jesus Christ died, before try to imagine something four or five inches thick and and so heavy and and strong that it took hundred men to move. You try to bust your way into the holiest of holies. It was something like ten feet square by ten feet square, ten feet high, thousand square feet. Could be talking to the millennial thousand year peace. Who knows? But uh, anyway, you couldn't you couldn't force your way in. Because it was room for the Ark of the Covenant, is room only there for the priest to take the blood from the sacrifice. And, and this is interesting, and I want to get back to it. He would take the blood from the altar of burnt offerings, which is away on the outside of the tabernacle. He would sprinkle the blood from that on every furniture, piece of furniture throughout the tabernacle. And it was shaped in the form of a cross. That's what's interesting. It was, sh- it was in the form of a cross. And so the high priest would take that blood, and he would sprinkle it on every one of those pieces of furniture. But the bulk of it, he would take with him into the mercy seat. And he would sprinkle the blood of that sacrifice on the mercy seat. Let me just, let me just give you a little thrill in your heart. You remember when Mary went to the tomb, and she saw the tomb was open? And she turned to what she thought was the gardener. And she said, Sir, where have you laid him? And he said, Mary. And when she heard that, she knew who he was. He had a glorified body now, you see. She didn't recognize that. There, there was no wound in his side. There might have been a scar, but no, no wound. There was scars in his hand, but no, no wound that healed. Miraculously, he had a glorified body. And she didn't recognize that as being Jesus. But when he said, Mary, she recognized the voice. She fell at his feet. He said, oh, no, don't touch me yet. I have not yet ascended to the Father. I've not gone to the eternal spirit yet. And so what he was doing was saying to her, listen, I've got to take the blood of this sacrifice yet, and I've got to take it to the mercy seat so God would be mindful and be merciful of your unrighteousness. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. And then, of course, just a few days later, he's telling old in Thomas, he said, oh, just handle me and see. You know why? He had already taken the blood to the mercy seat and that mercy seat oh if i could preach to you today that that veil was rent in two and we can go inside the holiest of holies and the mercy seat today for ourselves if you came troubled about your yesterday's sins uh, oh hallelujah there was a mediator now that can look at you and say hey you know what if you'll be baptized in my name that's another lesson But I'll get to it, Lord willing. If you'll be baptized in my name, I'll give you my spirit. Oh, hallelujah. And you'll have power over the world and the confusion of our world. I'm so glad to tell you we believe in apostolic experience. We believe in an apostolic outpouring of the Holy Ghost. We believe Jesus knows how to wash your sins away. We believe Jesus knows how to take care. He is mindful of your unrighteousness, and he paved the way. And he has the ability to say now, your sins are forgiven. Hallelujah. Oh, somebody ought to shout with me. Hallelujah. 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 As we stand and the musicians come, I'm going to stop. and If you want to hear the rest of this lesson, you can come next week because it's too much to finish up in the next hour. And I hear stomachs growling. But if you come next week, I'll finish this lesson. Because he ushered in that new will, and I call it the last will and testament. And there's a reason why that. Because you can change your will when you're alive many, many times. But the last will is the one that counts. And so when an attorney looks for paperwork, he's not looking for the first will, second will, third will, or whatever, he's looking for the last will and testament. Oh, hallelujah. And so I titled this series of lessons, The Last Will and Testament. mean there's not going to be another will. This is it. And he said, in the last days, in this day, I'm going to put my, my spirit, I'm going to put my word into your hearts and your life. That's why we have the Holy Ghost today. That's why we have the spirit of God today. Oh, hallelujah. It's the last will and testament. If you want to get in on the rapture at the culmination of it all, you need to get a part of this last testament, the last will and testament of Jesus Christ. He's putting his spirit in people today. He's allowing them to have their sins washed away, not by the blood of bulls and the goats, but by the blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, hallelujah. You can do no good nor do nothing too bad that God would say, I don't love you and I can't fix it for you. I'm here to fix it for you. Jesus loves you enough that he gave his life so you could have your sins remitted. You could not be bad enough that Jesus says, oh no, you're out of here. I'm not going to, oh no. You can't be good enough to bypass it. You have to come through the door. And Jesus said, I am the door to the sheep cot. I am the shepherd of the sheep cot and I am the lamb. He is all three. Oh, can you get the picture? We're not looking for one, two, or three. We have Jesus, and it's all in him. Oh, hallelujah. Let's sing.
1: Oh, the blood of Jesus.